0: Show. I'm your host Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com and today I'm joined by Shruti Kapoor. She's the founder and CEO over at Wingman. Wingman records, transcribes and analyzes sales calls in real time, give un- insights on what's working in the sales process and nudges to improve your calls. Shruti, warm welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me, Sam.
0: No problems at all. Looking forward to this. So we're, we're going to be talking all about how you can get your very first 10 customers as a startup. And I'm sure there's a lot of people watching or listening today that are either recently started their business or perhaps they're thinking in the back of the mind in the next few months, the next few years. I really want to start uh, my own co, my own company. But I'm so nervous. Um, I'm so apprehensive when it comes to how do I acquire those customers or perhaps people have got a business on the side and they want to accumulate a few customers before they're ready to take the leap and go out on their own. So this is going to provide some juicy insights as, as you've been there. You've done it, Shruti, into how they do that. But before we get to that, I want to talk about some of the most common mistakes that you've seen that startups make when it comes to selling, when it comes to sales in general.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, of course, as a very early startup, um, I, I don't know if you've read the book, like the mom test, right? I think startups make that mistake even in that selling process, which is you go and reach out to people and you try and sell to people uh, just because you know them, right? right. Um, they, you might know that they're not the ICP for your product, uh, but just because, you know, they're in your network, you're like, you know what, this is going to be an easy customer. Let me go out and get them first. Okay. Um and that's a big mistake because, uh, one, you don't learn from, um, you know, the feedback that they give you, um, and the fee- and they will give you feedback, right, because you're just launching your product or service, uh, and you will then either land up not learning, or you will land up learning the wrong things, uh, because they're going to tell you stuff that is not really relevant to your actual ICP, right, so, suppose you were launching, um, you know, a say, a B2C product for, like, 20-year-old uh, men. And yep. instead, you went and, like, you know, if you're a 30 year founder, you went and, like, you know, asked your own friends about it. They might have a very, very different, uh, you know, budget. their uh, You know, their priorities might be different, and you'll get feedback that doesn't apply to your segment.
0: Got it. Okay. So that that's interesting because we've had a lot of people that have come on the show and said, you should leverage your, your immediate network. So I like the fact that it's it's massively different and we're saying, no, don't go to your friends, don't go to your network, go to your actual ideal customer profile. Um, and is is that purely shrewdy because they're more likely to buy a product and also their friends and perhaps people that we're in close contact with already are less likely as well to give us honest and pure feedback? They're rather going to stroke our egos and perhaps go lightly on on uh, on what they really think.
1: Um, So I think there are two parts to it, right? One is you should still go to your uh, network, right? Like, so when I think about, you know, how do you get your first 10 customers? I think the network plays a really important role in that. Um, But, um, you know, it's important to kind of be aware that uh, you should still qualify people based on the ICP that you're looking for, right? Um, So for example, a mistake that uh, I see a lot of other uh, founders uh, in ask make is uh, they kind of go to their local market, even though they know that their target market is the U S right. So you right. start with interviewing folks in whichever country you live in, right? Like in our case, uh, we could easily get access to say 30 ICP people within India, but it was probably harder for us to get that same access to folks in the U S right. So it's easy for me to go out there and say, let me just go with them. Um, and you know, it can't be so different and I'll be aware of what those differences might be. Uh, but it's, it's never that straightforward, right? Like there's so many nuances, uh, those little things, whether that is cultural context, whether that is uh, maturity uh, of the tech stack, everything else makes a difference into what uh, people actually do with the product. Um, so yeah, I would say that, you know, if if you're lucky enough to have your immediate network be your ICP, by all means, go uh, with it. But yep. uh, don't, don't just go with someone because they're in your network.
0: Got it. No, that makes sense. I suppose it's about, leveraging leveraging what you've got already but refining that network to make sure you're actually tapping into i guess the, the ideal fit prospects and make sure you're not wasting their and your own t- your yourself your time or your sales team time if you've got a sales team right yeah
1: absolutely
0: Cool, that makes sense. So are there any other kind of mistakes we need to be aware of when it comes to, to selling, whether it is from the founder side or whether it is you've got a small team side or anything perhaps you've experienced, Shruti, that could perhaps give us a few shortcuts?
1: Yeah, I think the second mistake, and you know, I learned this from other founders as well, the second mistake that a lot of people make is when they start selling, You know, they, they take that word selling really seriously, right? So, right. They feel that when they get on a call with somebody who's a potential customer, what they need to be doing is they need to be talking and selling the idea. Uh, but instead, what you need to be doing is you need to be actually probing and understanding the problems uh, that your customer's facing. Um, yep. And so, like, literally, I think I went on, like, you know, 50 calls with prospects and I was talking to another founder and they said, what is the first thing you say on a call? And I said you know, I introduce myself, and then I start saying why I created this great product. And, you know, then I go into it. Um, And what uh, he told me was that, you know, the first question literally has to be, why did you get on the call with me? Right? And I think that's such an important piece of advice for everybody. And it's a simple piece of advice that I think holds true for everyone. uh, Because that is going to tell you the true motivation, uh, right? Like, yes, you might have you know literally begged them to get on that call with you but still it was a choice that they made right like they could have spent their 30 minutes in 30 different ways uh, but since they're there they're probably looking to get something out of it and that's uh, you know such a big insight uh, when you get into it and um i would say that that's kind of you know the second biggest mistake mistake people make especially when you're not from the sales world and you you know discovery and everything seems just very strange and artificial
0: yeah 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 that that's it that's that is a huge mistake isn't it when you just jump on calls and it's all me 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 centric you just want to talk about yourself your product how great you are and if if you've been in sales for more than 5 minutes you'll realize that that's an immediate turn off for prospects right so um, I love that question why why did you decide to get on the call with me because I guess that kind of unpacks and really tees off the conversation because they'll give you some some golden nuggets some some useful advice on to what intrigued them i guess about your product or your offering that you can leverage later along the sales process right
1: yeah and i think like you've had to add the third and maybe the last mistake that a lot of people make is um you know it's related to the second one which is when they start thinking about the company they also start thinking about it from the perspective of the product or the solution right, right. um they don't uh, and and so you know the whole timeline of how you think about the company is okay i have this great idea now i've maybe if I was smart enough, I've done some initial interviews. Now it's time for me to go and build that product out. Uh, but, and so, you know, literally the order is, okay, I build the product, uh, then I try and get some initial customers by doing sales. And then at some point later in the future, I think about marketing, right? But in fact, the order should actually be reversed because if you get your marketing uh, piece right early on, that can give you so much leverage in uh, you know, making the product and the sales process faster uh, and you can learn so much more. And of course, in the early days, while you're still trying to figure out the product, it's not about, you know, putting putting fancy screenshots of wireframes on your website. It's more about, you know, just starting out the conversation around the problem that you're looking to solve, right? Because, and again, this kind of ties also to the marketing funnel, right? Like there are a lot more people who understand a problem than people who are necessarily aware of a solution or looking for a solution. So, even when you think about marketing in those early days, and I think you should start doing marketing like pretty much, uh, you know, even before you launch a company or uh, write your first line of code, um, that's kind of uh, where I think a lot of people make that mistake.
0: Yeah, great advice. Do you think that founders of companies, let's use B2B SaaS as an example, because I know that's what you guys offer, do you think they often know the problem they, that they solve when they bring it to market, or do you think they're often perhaps wrong or not quite right when it comes to actually really understanding the crispy exact problem that the customers are coming to them to solve.
1: Um, I think there are people on the entire range of that spectrum. Um, and the other part of it really is that people might understand that the problem that they want to solve, but the solution that they have in mind might not actually solve the problem. Right. It might create a different problem that then needs to get solved. Um, so I think it's important, uh, therefore, also to kind of lead with the problem and to keep iterating on the problem itself, because you're right, I might start off by saying that this is the problem I want to solve. Uh, a few months later, when I actually have maybe an MVP of the product and I see people using it, I realize that either maybe the product doesn't solve that problem as well as I'd imagined, uh, or I realize that maybe people are actually using it differently from what I imagined and they're using it to solve a different problem that maybe is more tied to uh, what they do, right? Like just to give you an example, like we at wingman, like you mentioned, we record transcribe and analyze sales calls. One of the things that we noticed early on was that while people, um, you know, when we interviewed people, they said, yes, the greatest thing they would want to be able to do is coach sales teams, uh, if they had a, a problem, a product like that, uh, but what we, what we realized people doing was that they were actually using it to coach for deals, not necessarily to coach people. All right. And then the product in some sense needs to evolve to say that, okay, yes, while coaching is great and people want to do it, it's not something that happens as often as people would like uh, to do. Uh, But something that absolutely happens uh, every week is pipeline reviews and coaching on deals. Right. And so if you can combine both, then you bring uh, much more value to the customer. So, yeah, I think it's important to kind of keep iterating on that problem statement as well
0: yeah 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 so it sounds like constantly or regularly talking to your customers to understand kind of what they want to get out of it how it's helping them the problems they're facing so not being afraid to i guess tweak your messaging tweak your marketing tweak your sales pitches even i suppose um because ultimately the customers are the ones that are going to be buying your products you want to make sure it's as close to the actual feedback you're getting from your current customers and as to the problems, how it's helping them, how it's kind of making their business, their lives better and making sure that's on point. Okay.
1: absolutely.
0: Cool. Cool. Um, Yeah. That's, that's some good stuff around kind of problem solving and making sure your messaging resonates with idle customers. You want to be tapping into, are there any, I don't want to go too deep into this, but um, as we've covered on some episodes before, but are there any kind of real quick ways for, perhaps businesses now that are thinking, um, I just want a, a fairly quick way to understand kind of the best or crispiest problem that I solve. Have you got any tips Shruti when it comes to kind of gathering that Intel from perhaps your existing customers or new ones?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we in fact went through, um, another round of this exercise and I think it's an exercise that's important to do every six months. Uh, at yeah. least, um, the way we went about it was uh, to try and understand um, how people, you know, what is the job to be done, right? Uh, and you know, people might have heard the jobs to be done framework. Yeah. Um, and the way we started by saying, how do we identify what are the jobs to be done? Is we would literally go back, and of course, you know, since we using man internally, we have access to like, you know, thousands of uh, customer calls uh, with our prospects. Uh, we went back and said, you know, let's just go and listen to. 50 calls in the last few months and just listen to like the first five minutes that people are talking about that particular topic, which is, you know, the answer to that question, why did you get on this call today? Right. And that's where we kind of started realizing what those jobs were and what we then did. And there's another uh, framework that we used for this exercise called the value prop uh, canvas, uh, where we would then start with saying, okay, this is the problem. uh, This is the, you know, job that somebody wants to do. Now, what happens if they're not able to do that job, right? Which is what you would call pain. And what happens if they're able to do that job, right? And also why are they not able to do that job today, right? So in like, as an example, uh, if I'm selling to a, a VP of sales and they say that they are not able to coach their sales teams today, uh, my question is like, you know, why are you not able to coach your sales teams? Um, and you know, what what is kind of the risk if you're not able to coach your sales team, right? Um, and people might have an answer like, okay, there is churn and, you know, my team, uh, I don't hit quota. Yeah. Uh, then that kind of really gives you insights into saying, okay, you know, what is the real impact of what I'm trying to build? And that second layer of question also begins to help you think about, you know, other features within the product, right? Because sometimes the problem might be a little too abstract or the job might be abstract. Right. Um, and we kind of do the same um You know, the the canvas also uh, uh, suggests this, which is to do the same exercise, starting with your product instead of starting with the customer. And then you kind of do a matchmaking, right? So you start with your product features. uh, You then say, what is the gain that this feature creates? What is the pain that this feature solves for? Uh, And then you try and map uh, your product features, pains and gains, with the customer pains and gains. And then you kind of begin to get a much better idea, not just of what to build today or in the future, but also how to market and position that. Um, so that's, I think, uh, a really good hack to um, mm. doing this. And we, in fact, plan to do this for every new feature that we launch so that you kind of understand uh, how that process works.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really digging deep into kind of the problems that prospects, customers are facing and then understanding the impact. So what happens if they don't fix it? Why is it an issue to their business? And then making sure you align your product features to basically fix those pains i guess good good stuff so moving this forward um some i'm sure you've seen this a lot street some founders that i've seen as well they love selling love talking to new prospects they might love prospecting on the phone via email they might get inbound leads via their marketing whatever and then they've got no problem at all prospecting getting leads in putting them through the sales process and getting deals over the line other founders might be completely on the other side they might be great technically when it comes to product build um they might know everything about the product how to launch it create it how to work with a team but when it comes to selling they might be scared stiff have you got any advice for perhaps someone who's on the other end of the spectrum who actually dreads the thought of kind of getting on the phone to new prospects of how to get stuck in and familiar with the selling role, especially when you're in a startup? <laughs> Just to put you on the spot. Yeah, I
1: think, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy and it's definitely a little bit of a personality thing, right? Um, and I think when, uh, in whichever situation, you know, you, you'd feel that you're not naturally gifted, the way to compensate for it is uh, with practice and with, um, you know, resources um, and literally, the one piece of advice is that this is something that you cannot outsource uh, in the early stages, uh, right? Uh, and I by outsource, I don't just mean like to some other agency, but like even to somebody else on the team, like you have to right. do this um, as a founder. And um, I know of many people who've made that mistake. We've also partially made those mistakes ourselves uh, in this journey. Um, now, when you're getting on that uh, conversation, um, I think it's important to then break that journey up in your mind. Um, what happens is that very often, as founders, we're really excited about the product, right? That's the thing that we are truly passionate about. Everything else to us comes second, right? Like whether that's the prospect, whether that's their pain points, you know, even revenue comes second, right? Like you just right. want people to start using that great thing that you're building. Um, and so it's important to break that journey up uh, and be disciplined about it to say that, listen, at the end of the first call, my objective is not necessarily to get this person to you know be using my product right at the end of that first call what should my objective be and that I think really helps uh in managing expectations and in keeping that conversation uh, a little bit more lightweight um, because uh, when I go in and I say you know what the objective from this conversation for me is to actually understand this person's Problem a little bit deeper, or my objective from this conversation is to make sure that I show them enough value or understanding of the problem that they will get out of the call with me. Then, you know, the, that conversation changes and I don't put so much pressure on myself. So I would say that that's probably one hack, which is to kind of break it up into saying, you know, with this particular meeting or call, what I'm doing is I'm selling the next meeting or interaction. Uh, right and whether that's like I'm going to send you an email is that person going to ever respond to my email Um, so I think that's kind of uh, one way to uh, think about it
0: yeah love that so just not not putting pressure on yourself that you need to close a deal but rather thinking look am I going to have a good conversation with this prospect I guess if it's an early sales call depending on the length and the the sales cycle the sales process and how long it might take are we going to take the time to understand kind of if there is a problem that we can solve or if we're later in the process and perhaps doing a presentation or pitch or demo, are we going to make sure we show them the the right value to all the questions we uncovered and all the issues we uncovered earlier in the sales process rather than just kind of thinking like I need to get this deal, I need to get this deal, let's have a, like you said, a lighter conversation so I guess it doesn't kind of stress you down and doesn't stress out the buyer at the same time. Exactly. Cool, and
1: then you can actually have more meaningful open conversations.
0: Mm. Great, good stuff. All right, so let, let's let's wrap this up with how we can put all this that we've learned, and feel free to to leverage some some marketing points if you wish, or we can keep it towards sales on how we can use all this knowledge, all this intel to to acquire our very first ten customers. What? if we want to do a step-by-step or what are some of the things that we need to do to to make sure we actually get some customers on board and get some cash in the bank, all importantly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the first thing in that journey of getting your early customers is to remember that the thing that is, you know, going against you the most as a startup uh, is not, you know, whether your product is the best or anything else, right? The thing that is going against you really is the lack of trust right and so what you're trying to solve for is uh trying to solve for trust and if you think of the journey uh with that perspective it gives you a lot of clarity and it gives you a very different set of levers that you want to play around with right So when you're trying to get your first 10 customers you're not trying to convince them that this is the best product that they can ever have in the world for solving that problem because it's probably not going to be right like let's be honest about that um and so why should they buy from you right and that, that kind of also back to the reason why you cannot outsource that to anybody else, but you have to do that as as the founder, Uh, people are going to buy it from you, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, because of you, right? And so you need to really be prepared to put yourself out there uh, and, you know, whether that is leveraging your network uh, with the ICP or using a network to get to the ICP if you don't already have access to it, Uh, that's probably how you should try and get uh, maybe your first two or three customers. Um okay. because they are trusting not the product, but they have some basis of trusting you more than others.
0: Okay. Any uh, just to dive into that a bit deeper, what f- you feel free to use yourself or any contacts you know as an example. Does that I mean when I when I hear network, being in the B2B world and being on LinkedIn more than I ever should, um <laughs> checking notifications like mad, does that mean we hop onto LinkedIn or does that mean we perhaps call our existing contacts or email them or what does that really look like?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, that's a great question and I think that uh, kind of maybe needs to be broken up in a process of its own, right? Okay. Um, I would say that first you need to get on um, maybe not just LinkedIn, right? Like you need mm-hmm. to actually have conversations with uh, your first circle of people who you think are going to be believers in you. They yeah. might not be your ICT, right? you're having those conversations with them not to sell them the idea, uh, but to just let them know that this is what you're working on. And this is the type of people that you want to connect with. Right. Uh, I would say that like, if you went and had that conversation with 10, uh, you know, strong sponsors in your life, uh, each of them, uh, or, you know, at least half of them will be able to give you like a couple of people that they believe you can talk to. Right. Um, and that's how you would start that conversation, and you can actually kind of lower the bar for them, right? And let them know that you're not going to try and sell to these people. Maybe you're just going to co-build with them. You're, you know, kind of going to get feedback, get a little bit deeper, and then um, you, you also don't want them to kind of feel that their relationship is going to be at stake at the end of that. Um, So I would say that, you know, maybe instead of like going really broad and doing a spray and pray approach uh, early on, it's helpful to actually have those conversations, uh, spend some time talking to people, evangelizing about it uh, and uh, getting, you know, the first set of 10 conversations set up um the other tip that somebody gave me and that came really handy was and this was of course pre pandemic when you could actually go meet people in coffee shops yeah, right sure. it would be like you know you'd meet somebody in the coffee shop and they would tell you like uh, you know that, that you know the first 10 people that your contacts have, uh connected you with uh, and they said oh yeah you know what i know somebody else who might be uh, might find this useful um so have your uh, kind of message ready for asking for that connect so the problem that often happens is you know I, I speak to people all the time today on the other side where they're like hey, is this interesting to you and I'll be like you know what this is not interesting to me but I know of a couple of people who might find this interesting um, and then you know they go quiet and maybe they reach out to me like three days later by when I've actually forgotten maybe the initial context right so the yep. second tip is to kind of have that message ready um, with a very clear small ask, saying, hey, you know what, you mentioned that you can introduce me to to these two people. Here is a quick excerpt of what you can tell them about the company and uh, can you make the introduction, right? So again, be prompt. Um, And the third kind of part of that process is uh, don't feel bad if somebody, uh, you know, forgets, doesn't respond. And that doesn't mean that you just kind of let them off the hook. Uh, feel free to follow up right this is your life This is going to be the most important thing for you and you alone it's not going to be the most important thing for anybody else in the world right so you kind of have to kind of up the game and keep the stakes high for yourself uh and and don't like you know don't take offense uh, don't take no for an answer um so i would say that's kind of the first set of things to do to yep. maybe have like those first 30 40 conversations uh at Ideally, out of those 30-40 conversations, you should be able to get maybe two or three people uh, who are willing to give you a chance.
0: That's awesome. The, f- the fruit is in the follow-up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: it is absolutely in the follow-up.
0: I really like that breakdown. Um, that's an interesting way to look at it. So basically, it's, it sounds like we're looking at a low-friction ask to whether our friends, our contacts, and just making them aware of what our business is offering. I guess, who it can potentially help. And then perhaps half of the people we speak to will then have some intros for us, which then we can have an initial conversation with. May lead to sales opportunities, may not. If not, at least you get great feedback on your product. If it does, great. You might have a potential customer. And then just making sure that we follow up with those those potential leads effectively to um, to get some initial kind of two, three or so deals over the line. That's, that's great stuff. Okay, so we've done that. What what are some of the next things we should consider?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's it's exactly like at every stage, you kind of think of it as a pyramid, right? So you maybe had one person who might have known two people who you then asked for another gotcha. couple of intros. And so now you have your first three customers. And now you need to kind of jump to the next stage of trust building, right? So the first stage of trust building was, all about people who knew you, who from your background felt that they could trust you or they knew somebody who uh, felt that they could trust you, right? Yeah. Um, now you need to kind of abstract out that trust to the second layer. And to abstract that trust out, what you need to do is uh, you need to use these people uh, and their feelings about the product to build trust with the next set of people. Um, okay. So it's really important to you know work closely with maybe these three people now and get case studies and testimonials, video testimonials, whatever you can, uh, yep. where they talk about the product and how it has helped them, right?
0: Gotcha. Uh, what
1: people do is sometimes they just kind of keep going down that funnel of like, you know, using network over and over and over again uh, to kind of get the early customers. But what that does is two things. One, uh, like you said, right, like the, the, the network might not give you the most honest feedback and two, uh, the, you know you also don't want to wear out your network, right? Yeah um, So I think that once you have you know those first three, four customers, you should move to the second part of it, which is uh, then again, focus on the product building, focus on making these uh, people successful uh, and using them uh, to kind of then amplify the voice, not just of yourself but of the product and uh, the value that it brings. Um so I would say that you know that that's the kind of stage to switch and do case studies. And I know that in the early days, when you're like maybe a team of three or four people, uh, doing case studies might seem like you know priority number 35. Uh, but it's, it's actually something that you can do relatively easily, uh, right? Like today you can ask people to go just write reviews for you on G2 uh, if they've liked the product, uh, get them to maybe get on a call like this, do a video interview with them that you can then use for uh, video testimonials even yep. um, start off with simple things like that but you kind of really have to move to phase two of trust building
0: Yep. awesome awesome stuff so i think that's probably something that gets forgotten a lot right um i suppose especially if you're a founder and you're just you've got a hundred things on your plate whether that's sorting out your product sorting out your team making sure everything is going right there's no technical issues and then at the same time you've got to think about marketing and you've got to think about selling Perhaps once you've got your three customers, you completely forget that getting getting that social proof, getting those testimonials or those review videos or those case studies or whatever that looks like is so important because as we've talked about on other episodes, they don't only help in the sense of they build trust with prospects that are perhaps checking out your website, but they can also be really good, like we've alluded to the whole episode for actually literally taking the words from your customers' mouths on how they describe your product to then use on your on your sales calls, right? As that could be storytelling as in how you had a case study if you took someone from having various issues of pain and then your product came along you, you had a conversation with them and now this is the world that they're living in and the better, better place that they are now and many other examples of, of that so that's that's really good stuff okay so that's all good this is there is there further things that we need to to do or is that how we're going to get most of our 10 customers or other other pieces to the puzzle
1: no, I think this is it for the first 10 customers. And then, of course, the third stage of trust building, which comes maybe at a bigger scale is, yeah. uh, you know, instead of your customers speaking about you, you then uh, maybe have like external validation, like, you know, G2 badges, a Gartner, a Gartner recognition of some sort um, as ways for building trust. But, you know, one way to kind of think about how you scale the company is to think of it in uh, abstract and more abstract ways of, Uh, building trust
0: with customers awesome brilliant stuff well shree really enjoyed the conversation today thanks very much for for coming on and sharing some really actionable no bs useful tips for anyone that's started a business or thinking of doing so with that please do tell us more about how we can get in touch with your business how we can connect and how we can learn from you
1: absolutely i think just like sam i do spend an inordinate amount of time on linkedin um, so, yeah, you can always find me on LinkedIn. My full name is Shruti Kapoor. Um, my company is uh, Wingman. The website is trywingman.com. So if if you're in that journey where you're maybe uh, looking to also capture the voice of customer, not just for yourself, but, you know, also for your product and marketing teams to benefit from, um, go check that out. And uh, yeah, happy to have a conversation on LinkedIn anytime.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll put all of those links over on the site at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, I want to thank you once again for coming on, Shruti. You really enjoyed it. Thanks, Sam. No worries. And if you enjoyed the show, as always, we interview business leaders each and every week to provide actionable tips across marketing, across sales, all with the goal to grow your revenue and grow your sales. So be sure to hit that subscribe button. And with that, we should catch you on the next one. Are you tired of hunting for clients?